All right, guys, I think we're going to get started here. Um, hopefully people will jump in as we kind of progress through the evening. Um, so the topic tonight is uh, the new FAA document, the exception for limited recreational operations of unmanned aircraft. It's a mouthful. Um, and it is a docket that the FAA pushed out. Um, we if you haven't seen it, uh, I'm sure most people in here have, um, but if you haven't seen it, the first kind of round of it happened, uh, I think on the 12th and uh, we got a leaked memo from the FAA to air traffic controllers. And that was kind of the start of it. Um, is anybody unfamiliar with this? Okay. By your responses, I'm going to say no. So, um what are your opinions and we're going to open this up from the beginning i'm going to go through it all um but i kind of want to get your opinions of it and i know a lot of you have opinions and i just kind of want to get a baseline for where everyone's at why didn't we stop it from happening sooner okay um what what are your recommendations for how that could have happened uh, contacting the FAA directly, basically essentially creating a how Section 336 was pushed through where the AMA had all of their members call the FAA's offices and their legislators until they were so inundated with requests they had to change the law because they were tired of people calling them. <laughs> right. No, I totally get that. From my end, this came as a surprise. Did it? Did anybody else know about it before the leaked memo? You heard rumors of it? Okay, so I'm curious because I didn't see anything anywhere on any rumors of it until uh, one of the gentlemen in our uh, group actually notified me about somebody posting it. And literally within two minutes, he had notified us here in the in the Discord. And I haven't I hadn't heard anything from it. So you know, if somebody knew about it, you know, who's communicating, you know, did somebody communicate that out? And that's the biggest thing, I think, from that regard, Zoe, if you, I mean, if you disagree, let me know. No, the rumor, the person I heard it from had heard it from someone within the FAA. So it was, you know, uh, some like basically a game of telephone. And mm -hmm. I really didn't pay any credence because I thought it was completely asinine and the FAA would never do what they just did. Okay. Yeah, from my perspective, I'm just disappointed they didn't have the frickin' system in place for non-107 before they rolled this out. It's ass backwards, in my opinion, but, yep. Okay. I, I wouldn't disagree with you there. I, I feel like they rolled something out without preparing for, um, you know, the, the new thing first. And you're right, it was a little backwards. Um and, you know, I was the first, you know, I, w I was right there with you and, and agreeing with that. You know, I, I I feel like we knew part of this was, was coming. But at the flip side, almost everything that they've done for Part 107 up until this point has come out in regard or come out in the form of uh, notices of proposed rulemakings or NPRMs. However, none of this dropped in that fashion and that's what i'm curious about is how come you know we didn't get any notification 
room for comments, you know, or time for comments and, and being able to contact them kind of like what Zoe was talking about. So because I think that about us they're they're that we are not even on the radar of the FA right now, the commercial interests are taking control. And from a commercial aspect, the new rules and regulations, I quite like, but from a hobbyist standpoint, it's, really really just kind of bothers me because there's no legitimate safety reason for them to implement this right now and if there was i could say okay yeah guys maybe this is a thing but well zoe is there um anything that surprised you from you know what was uh, announced last week in comparison to what was announced uh on october of uh, last year as the as part of the reauthorization act I mean, I honestly didn't think they'd go as far as requiring hobbyists within five miles of an airport to use the land system. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that honestly, I, I didn't see that as something that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I was, that, was, yeah. that was a fear, I think, that a lot of people had was that the FAA was going to start kind of segmenting the hobbyist population from being able to fly in certain areas and or doing what they just did. Um, and I mean, the, the category... Was, I mean, uh, executing the category one, two, three. Yeah, so it's I, I I definitely know that was a fear in October, and honestly, that's been a fear that I've had for a while. Um, and that's it's I'm very disappointed overall. One, the FA didn't communicate that with anybody ahead of time for any kind of debate. Um, two, the fact the community hasn't been more vocal in general about you know the role and rulemaking process that's going on right now myself included i feel very disappointed i haven't spoken up more during this whole process and just the fact that now we're kind of playing the faa's game because under the rules the new reauthorization act we have to petition them for rule changes um which is something that we i think we can do at this point which is you know petition for this to be changed potentially well I was thinking of a different approach. Like, what can we do to get that system uh, put in place in a much faster time frame, so that we can use it? Well, I, mean, I think, I think you know, a couple of things, and, and I will say this: I've sat in uh, over the past couple of months. Um, I've sat in. I know Dan sat in on a couple of uh, FAA webinars, um, and we did know that the Lance was coming for hobbyists. Um, That wasn't a surprise. Um, I knew that, I don't know, two, three months ago, Dan, when we were on that webinar, yeah? Uh, Yeah, like a month ago. And so, you know, from that regard, I mean, to me, the Lance system is not a downfall. I think, you know, before... And this is just my personal opinion. And correct me if you think if your opinion is different. But I think that instead of having to call every tower, every regional airport, you know, every uh, Bob and Joe airport that that exists throughout the country or exists within your flying range. um, Now you can just use one system, get a response within 60 seconds, because literally that's how fast it's been working for commercial uh, from almost every story I've heard, um, whether you can fly or not. And so this oh, yeah. I mean, I'm all for it. I think it's great, but it, it's obviously not rolled out to hobbyists yet, and that's what I want. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping there's a way we can push that. Yeah. So I just want to like 
add one thing to it, and this is, I guess, my problem with the change, is that um, it's the fact that before you just had to notify a tower as a hobbyist that you're flying in the area, you didn't have to ask permission. So okay, essentially it goes, from, goes from having a right to use the airspace to now be given permission, and now it's no longer a right. Um, and we're called limited flyers or limited whatever it was. Limited recreational operation or operators, I guess, in, in one regard. But um, so, I mean, land system totally makes sense. Uh, commercial use uh, makes sense if you're extremely close to an airport. Five miles, especially for operators that are operating below 20 or 40 feet, which is the majority of, I feel like, mini quad and drone pilots. I mean, if you're not anywhere near that airspace, then it just creates this extra hassle and this, this ultimately, which will strangle the hobby a little bit because it doesn't encourage people to want to get into it. I mean, if you have to, it's just another barrier of entry that they're going to have to put up with. And as someone who lives 4.999 miles from the airport, I totally agree. <laughs> so no flying in your backyard right now, right, Dan? Not right. I guess not. Not legally. <laughs> not that he'll admit. It seems in... <laughs> right. So the the suggestion uh, earlier. Uh, I mean, let's continue this uh, thread. But the, the the thought of is there anything we can do to offer uh, to the FAA to get lands for hobbyists in place more quickly? I mean, it's uh, obviously there. Uh, short of people. So in terms of uh, if we offer to, uh, if there are any tests going on, that we would be happy to participate in testing uh, at various locations, that might be a, a benefit to us. Mm -hmm. Yep. I would I would completely agree with that. If we can get in on that phase of it to, to you know, push it through a little bit quicker. I mean, we can put it through its paces quicker than most anybody else. I mean hands down, the community can, not just FPBFC, but um, I mean, that's that's a that's a given. Um, that's a great idea, Dave. I really like that. So, um, Zoe, to pick up on the thread that you had uh, focusing in on the uh, five-mile radius, uh, what's, the, what's a, a radius that you would say is reasonable? Um, well, it really depends on, I guess, how high you're going to be flying. If we had a separate flight ceiling for pilots that are flying in their backyards, quote-unquote, of 40 feet, that, well, you know, only extends out to maybe, you know, half a mile, starts out half a mile out of the airport, just because I can't imagine an aircraft being within 40 feet of the ground within half a mile of an airport. I really like how Bruce Simpson talks about shielded operations. Like, if you're flying at or below the tree line tree level or below buildings in your neighborhood there's no way a manned aircraft is going to be there so you should be okay to fly and i feel like that's a hard to really convey and like nail down um that's what i say 40 feet so to the if ground. we if we go back with um two elements one um a shield and um uh, the second which is uh, a smaller radius uh, than five. That those are to me sound very reasonable. 
But I would agree cool. with you. I think I think you know, and I'm not. I would be happy with any kind of of uh, kind of knockdown in the in the in the guidelines that we currently have. But you know, I think uh, like Bruce's point was, you know, underneath whatever the tallest thing within a hundred meters of you is. Yeah. And I, I mean that that gives you a, a lot of wiggle room in terms of what you can do how you can fly i mean i personally i'm not i don't stick myself to 40 feet below the ground and i don't know how many of you do um i really push as high as i can um i don't you know i don't violate the 400 foot rule but at the same time you know i don't restrict myself to you know just the tree tips you know so treetops sorry I also yeah, know long-range people will argue that they need more, a lot more space. Yeah, I I expected to. Um, let's long long range is a. Um, Zoe, did you have a notion? They're not of flying a, by of a the radius? airports. Long range isn't really. I mean, a lot of a lot of that isn't really taking place by airports anyway. Uh, so the lo- long range, I think, because is... you you do kind of need a a fairly clean RF environment um, for some of that, and yeah, I don't you don't really get that around an airport, but and we agree that um, with the regulations that we've that we we've known about, and now it's codified that there is a uh, a spotter required that has to be co-located, so the spotter has to be in visual uh, contact with the uh with the uas everyone agree on that yes all right Zoe, do you have a, a radius in mind or, or uh, I, I like your the first idea i'm not trying if you don't then that's well, fine it's it's really hard to find because most aircraft when they land and take off it's kind of a defined cone upwards sure sure realistically drones around an airport like five miles is so wide yeah, one one of one of the things um, I, I could do is take a look at the various uh, you know classes and see what uh, makes sense in terms of uh, uh, a, ra- a radius to try to get that reduced in addition to the uh, below the structure. You know, well, 40, forty foot. One of the things I'd like to kind of interject in here, and, and this kind of takes care of the radius thing, and and it takes care of. I mean, it. It takes care of a couple of things. So, you know, if I were to pull up, I don't, I don't know if, how many of you have seen this. I included it in our response, but I'm going to post it here. This is a link to the... Sorry about that. That's all right. Um, so it's a uh, facility maps, um, and it basically shows the airports. I don't know if that pops up for you, if it's going to pop up on Phoenix, or if it's just going to show the entire United States. But... Do me a favor, if you can, zoom in on Phoenix, Arizona. Um, a couple of things here. I am completely surrounded by airports. Um, however, the grid system around here starts about, I don't know, maybe a half mile, maybe a mile, uh, just ballpark out from each individual airport. And it gives you flight ceilings that you can operate in. Now, again, this is all controlled airspace. So right now we are locked out of this. But once Lance arrives for hobbyists, we will once again have access to this. Now, when you apply through the land system to fly within these areas, you're going to be restricted potentially to actually, actually you're going to be restricted to these flight ceilings. So where it says a hundred, you're going to be stuck to a hundred. That's going to be your flight ceiling. 
Um, and these do start out, as Zoe was saying, perhaps maybe half mile, maybe a mile out from the airport. Um, so I, I think in one regard, I agree with you, Zoe, that, you know, asking before we, we did have to ask for permission. Now we, or we just had to notify. Now we have to ask for permission. However, once permission is given, um, we do have access to those areas, even close to airports. Am I wrong? The thing with the thing with Lance is how do you prove it? How do you prove what? Uh, or the thing without Lance, I'm sorry. The thing without the Lance system is how do you prove you have the okay or that you were denied? Uh, well, for me, like if I've ever had to call a uh, air traffic controller, I make note of who I talk to. Um, and I just, I mean, that's what I did before. Um, I never really had to call them much because I generally flew within areas where I didn't have to. But in cases like where I was up in Sedona, um, I did have to um, because the whole area basically gets covered by uh, the airport up there. So uh, I just make note of who I talk to. Um, I have, if I submit it, like some airports like Sky Harbor over the last couple of years have an online form. and. You just fill that out, and I just kept a copy of that. If they didn't send me an email back saying I, you know, couldn't fly, then game on. You know, that was my proof. Each individual airport around you may be a little bit different, though. Um, but now, I mean, now we're gonna have to use the Lance system, and I mean, that's you're gonna have that go no go authorization. Did I answer your question, Matt? Yeah, it was just I know a lot of people might might think they're covering themselves by just calling. And mm -hmm. I mean, calling the tower, it, they don't care. No, I mean, a I, lot I of times. How many people, yeah. I, I don't know how unless you're really calling it like if you're calling like an international airport, like, hey, I'm flying, you know, a quarter mile out from like runway three, seven left or something. They might be like, yeah, no. But mm -hmm. other than that, they like stop calling here every time you're going to fly. <laughs> right, and and I've, I've run into that too. Had them, yeah, yeah, they've well, I've had that multiple now, times. There's now an, uh, officially there's the communication to air traffic controllers is stop, stop taking, taking any calls. call. So it's now you know th that um, path has been oh yeah Closed. has been cut off. Yeah. This so, this lead this leads to an interesting. Um, uh, turn, which is um, how many of us are looking at this saying, yeah, you know, maybe it's time that I go for my 107. And and that's definitely a thought that, that's been in my head for a while. As soon as this rolled out, it's like, yeah, it's, it, it becomes more and more likely because currently what 107 pilots have access to Lance. Right. And, and they specifically state that you can either fly under Part 107 or you fly under the exception for limited recreational operation. And there's nothing saying that you have to be doing a commercial job to fly under Part 107. It just means you're going to fly under the rules of Part 107. And that gets you quicker access to Lance because it's open to, to those pilots right now. Right. Well, I think so. especially, especially if you're flying... Um, if you're flying in an area that's got a lot of restricted airspace, it's really it's necessary. Yeah, yeah. I mean, otherwise um, 
If you pull up on that FAA map, you pull up Las Vegas, they have about five square miles that they can fly in. Yeah, if that. If that. It's it's horrible. And, I mean, so the pilots around there are better off right now getting their Part 107. Yeah, well, I can't imagine. I mean, there's got to be spots around uh, Dallas-Fort Worth where there's no... There's not a square inch you can fly in a lot in a lot of square miles there, with all so, the airports right around there. Absolutely. All right. Well, so, the, oh, go ahead. But yeah, just to piggyback on that, um, didn't they have the the thing where if if you weren't flying, if you had your 107 and you weren't doing a commercial route or a commercial flight, you were still considered a limited uh, hobbyist, pretty much. So now so, that's kind of let different. Me pull... Nope, you're fine. Let me pull this up real quick. Um, I just want to clarify what they said in their release. Let me get it here. Now, I assume that ONI is uh, towered airports. I have a lot of uh, towerless airports around me for crop dusters and uh, uh, skydivers. I don't even worry about them, to be honest. <laughs> and and explicitly, we're told not to. And the, yep. so the, the tower lists are, are characterized as uncontrolled. And the link that um, Josh uh, slash Cujo uh, provided was those airports that are uh, controlled. And so yes. if, you, if you see a red or a green uh, grid circle, that's a controlled uh, airport. You still have to make okay. contact with the operators of those uh, those private fields. You're still under an obligation. According, uh, 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 I would tend to disagree so. with you there, bud. Um, <laughs> according to several sources, including the AMA, that's not a requirement any longer. Um, the requirement is those are considered uncontrolled. They exist in uncontrolled airspace. And I mean, moral obligation, perhaps. Um, but again, that's where your spotter is going to come into play. But um, according to them, the requirement is going to be Lance, and Lance is going to be your door in to the controlled airspace. So they're really kind of defining the difference there with that. Um, according to, um, I just had this, according to uh, the FAA's release, it says operators of small unmanned aircraft, uh, also referred to as drones for recreational purpose, must follow the rules in 14 CFR Part 107 for FAA certification and operating authority unless they follow the conditions of exception for limited recreational operations of unmanned aircraft discussed in this notice. So basically that's saying you're either flying recreationally under part 107 or you're flying under the limited recreational operations. Mm-hmm. Um, so so there is, a, uh, there, there is a, a definitely a difference between flying recreationally under 107 and, and flying commercially. Near 107. Okay, okay. Yes, absolutely. You're just basically saying, I'm going to follow the rules of Part 107. And uh, basically later on, and we'll get to that here in a few, later on they state that you need to be able to uh, dictate which rules you're following. And that, that comes into play for both if you're following 107, if you're following the this uh, um, 
limited operations. I'm calling it the LRO for now, uh, limited recreational operations, but because uh, it starts to get a mouthful. Um, but um, basically, it goes on further to dictate uh, eight statutory conditions for flight under LRO. Uh, the first one is the aircraft is flown strictly for recreational purposes. Obviously, you have to have your Part 107, and you would be flying under Part 107 if you were flying commercially. Um, the second one is the aircraft is operated in accordance with or within the programming of a community-based organization. Uh, and their set of safety guidelines that are developed in coordination with the FAA. Now, this one's a, a catch-22, because according to this very document, the FAA has not approved any CBOs under the FAA Reauthorization Act of 2018. Um, so they go on further to, to basically say that since they haven't recognized anyone and they haven't worked with anybody that they've recognized to develop a set of safety guidelines, that you can follow uh, the guidelines of an aero modeling organization. So that would fall under FPVFC's uh, safety guidelines. That would fall under AMA safety guidelines and any other aero modeling organization. So, you know, until they start to recognize CBOs and start to work with them on their safety guidelines. Any, right. any comments so on that part? So that says when we have Lance and we want to fly in controlled, then we have to say, I'm follow I have a copy of these safety guidelines and here they are. And the and I'm adhering to these safety guidelines. And you can, you know, pick, you know, we hope you pick FPVFC, but you pick the organization you want until the FAA mandates a, a set of guidelines. And they go on further there. Uh to say, um, if you're not flying under the rules of one of those organizations, um, then they give you the FAA's basic safety guidelines in which you can uh, fly under. And right. those are all in the documents there. Yep. Um, and it also goes on to say under that that you should be able to explain to an FAA inspector or law enforcement official which safety guidelines you are flying under. So my suggestion is, is whichever ones you decide to roll with, uh, keep a copy of them with you. Mm -hmm. um, so, whether it's on your phone, whether it's on a piece of paper. To me, I'd keep them on my, obviously, I know where to get the FPVFCs. I know where to get the AMAs. I'm going to use the FPVFCs, so I can just link to a website. But I'm also going to throw a backup copy in my flight bag and just, you know, fold it up, leave it in there. Right. Um, so yep. So the the only the only concerning thing, and they're having uh, they're having another one of these uh, these short um, webinars tomorrow uh, tomorrow afternoon, and I'm uh, I got a spot in this one. Awesome. Um, so uh, it specifically is talking about. Um, uh, talking about the airspace identification. So the only thing where I th think, I, you know, I don't know if they over, I don't know if they overlooked this or, or, or what, but, um, you know, one of their rules, if you go on their webpage and look, their rule number eight says never fly near other aircraft, especially near airports. Mm -hmm. And they consider 
they consider these private fields airports. And I know this because of the pains I had to go through to make notifications to the local ones near me. Um, I'd like to have clarification on that. And I think um, until they clarify, because they continue to clarify, you know, about uh, they've come out with a couple of other um, uh, changes to, you know, or clarifications, they call them. Uh, mm -hmm. It's changes, but they get to call it clarification um, to what they've written. Um, I can't I, I can't imagine that they've gone from um, you absolutely have to notify, you know, any grass strip heliport hospital with a helipad um, to nope. Now you guys don't have to you don't have to do anything. You can fly near them without notifying anybody um, that's open airspace. I'd well, be great. If you, yeah, but um, I, if if you are, if, um, if you would, uh, after you uh, listen uh, tomorrow, if you could just drop uh, any notes uh, right here on this uh, general Discord. Uh, absolutely. You, you know something yeah. that, uh, you know, I'm not looking for chapter and verse. It's like, hey, this was new news, or hey, oh, you want, yeah. you know, take a look at this, or you know, any uh, hint would be very appreciated. Yeah, they absolutely hold them to 20 minutes, so it's not. I, I'm just. I'm going to screen capture it in the event that there's uh, a lot of good discussion. Um, I can always, cool. you know, either edit the screen capture or just pull out of it, you know, what's significant. But um, it's kind of hard to get. They announce these things, and it's kind of hard to get spots in all of them. I, I I've gotten a couple, and I got this one um, because I just happened to stumble across it. Um, and, uh, uh, so I plan on, you know, attending that one tomorrow and we'll see. And, and, and maybe they are going to make it, make that go away, but, um, and maybe that's why they haven't, uh, replied to my inquiries regarding that particular situation that I have, with that. but who knows? We'll see. Whatever's, whatever I, uh, whatever I learn, I will, um, I will at least do a summary and just put it up. Everybody can take a look. Absolutely. Thank, We'd thank appreciate you. that. Yeah, not a problem. One advantage uh, of not feeling well is you can uh, spend your days doing exciting things like that. <laughs> hey, you know what? Knowledge is power, man. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, it's actually keeping uh, me from boredom. but. <laughs> <laughs> True great story. to do surgery on your back and then tell you to lay on your back there's just gotta be there's they gotta come up with a better solution for me right right so uh just reading through the chat um i know a couple of these guys are a couple of you guys are talking about uh long range um to be honest with you uh beyond visual line of sight uh as it stands right now is not legal um you have to have a spotter the spotter has to be in direct communication which means being able to speak to you directly without using a radio or anything like that that can keep a visual line of sight on your aircraft um yeah i think the the new wording is actually co-located yeah it is co-located i'm just yeah. i'm putting it in layman's terms um, so, so do we think co-located is with the uh the limited operator or using the term with tongue in cheek or is it co-located with the 
so that you can have visual uh, sight of the uh, UAS. To I'm me, co-located oh. with the drone. Yeah, that's what I'm <laughs> I mean, if I, I, uh, right if I can there, see sucker. props in my FPV can, that's co-located, right? <laughs> that's it. I, uh, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, you know, um, yeah, I could have a lot of interpretations to that. Um, right. What the, how they're going to interpret it is going to be the key. Okay. Uh, so or the police black... officer that shows up to when you they get a complaint on you flying, that's, you know. So, Black Shepherd, uh, your spotter has to be able to maintain visual line of sight unaided, which means no FPV goggles, no binoculars, no telescopes, no anything. Yeah, got to be able to see them with unaided eye. But Un yep. long range is something we can advocate for finding a way Absolutely. to legally do it in the future. Yes, yeah. Yeah. I, I would wholly agree with that. All right, so um, let's continue. Uh, so obviously the next one is going to be the aircraft is flown within visual line of sight of the person operating the aircraft or a visual observer co-located and in direct communication with the operator. Um, this one, they do specifically call out that FPV flight is... Uh, is legal uh, with the uh, with a visual observer or a spotter. Um, however, and I did note, still does not uh, address recreational beyond visual line of sight, which would be your long range. Um, the aircraft is operated in a manner that does not interfere with and gives way to any manned aircraft. This is nothing new. This has been the the uh, the wording all along. Um, if there's an aircraft in the area, uh, your best option is to just land, wait till it passes, and then continue with what you were doing. Anybody disagree with that? It's my understanding. Okay. The visual observer um, part is is new, new and that's according, a good thing. Yes. It is new uh, from the uh, uh, FAA Rioth of 2018. Um, and we knew that it called it out in that as well. It didn't specifically see it say FPV, but in this one it does. And um, but in the Rioth it said with a visual observer, which was a given that FPV was uh, allowed. Um, the next one says so, in class. Oh, go so ahead. As a commercial for the AMA, the AMA director of governmental affairs is taking credit that he got that phrase uh, instituted for the uh, FPV community. Oh, so so it's well fancy him. Yeah, yeah, they're they're <laughs> they're keeping busy. <laughs> All right, next one in class B, C, or D airspace, or within the lateral boundaries of the surface area of class E, e airspace designated for an airport, the operator obtains prior authorization from the administrators or designee before operating and complies with all airspace restrictions and prohibitions. This is the big change here. Um, this is the one, uh, along with the memo to the um, air traffic controllers, basically states that until Lance is operational, we are unable to gain, hobbyists are unable to gain authorization. Um, so currently we are strict, restricted to only flying in Class G airspace uh, until that uh, Lance system goes uh, goes live for us. They give a very vague uh, timeline of this summer. So 
Um, I do like uh, Steve's idea of reaching out to them and seeing if uh, we can get the FPV community to test their system as it rolls out. Uh, beta alpha test, beta test, whatever we need to do to kind of speed that along. Give them, you know, the technical feedback that we all know we can give uh, because we're all highly technical people and uh, get that kind of pushed out as quickly as possible. So I think we can definitely take that kind of communication to the FAA and see what we can do about that. One thing I wanted to sort of get clarification on and point out is uh, as far as the, the airspace, um, the, the airspace you can't fly in goes down to the surface level, even though sort of the definition of those different classes of airspace is that upside down cake shape. But right. you still can't fly under that it's down to the surface, if I understand that right. So there are certain different airspaces that are classified as that. So Class G, um, unless within another class of airspace, goes uh, up to, what did we decide? What, it's like 1,700. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. We are restricted to the first 400 of it. Is it 1,200? Okay, thank you. It's 1,200, but the buffer is 7 to 1,200. But we have an additional 300 feet of buffer down to 400. Right. So we are, and that's actually the next one coming up, we are, uh, we can only take up from 0 to 400 um, in Class G airspace. Now, uh, Class E airspace are the ones that are designated to, for the airport. Those do extend to the ground, as do, oh, thank you, Dan. Um, so the other, uh, classes do extend to the ground. Um, and, uh, yeah, you are locked out of those until, uh, Lance, uh, goes effective. Um, class A airspace, uh, is generally, and this was something I had to actually look up. Class A airspace is generally, uh, it starts to take on international boundaries um, and uh, is obviously, we're not going to be going that high. Uh, there are very few modelers that do take it that high. I've seen a couple, but very few. Um, let's see. Why is it heavy and expensive as a consumer product? Explain, Black Shepherd. He's uh, talking about remote ID. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Remote that ID was... is expensive and heavy. Well, expensive, yes, uh, it can be. Um, heavy, no, um, not really. Uh, there is uh, one called the Ping RX. It's from uh, UAVionics, uh, if I'm saying that correctly. Uh, it's It only weighs five grams. Um, however, the FAA has not come out with what remote ID uh is going to be what the requirement is going to be it's definitely under discussion as we speak uh generally that particular model i think runs about 200 to 250 and it's an ads it's an adsb uh transponder is what it is that still sounds heavy for my tiny whoop to fly outside yeah it's a <laughs> true story it, it sounds it sounds heavy to attack onto my onto my uh my 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 barely under uh, under two fifty stuff now. Yeah. Yep. It, it, two hundred bucks is a lot of money to me. To start it is absolutely. So and and that's been kind of the point 
from our side all along is that it creates a bottleneck into the entry of the hobby. Yeah. All right. So we talked about the next one, which is uh, in Class G airspace, the aircraft is not flown from the surface is is flown from the surface to not more than 400 feet above ground level, um, and complies with all airspace restrictions and prohibitions. Um, again, there's not a whole lot new here. Uh, we we still had the 400 feet from before. Uh, the key here is to mind any and all TFRs, temporary flight restrictions, um, and uh, notices to airmen or notums, as well as any local laws and regulation. Um, any questions on that one? That was pretty self-explanatory. Okay. Uh, now the next one is another caveat one. Uh, the operator has passed an aeronautical knowledge and safety test and maintains proof of passage of te uh, proof of test passage to be made available to the administrator or the designee of the administrator or law enforcement upon request. Um, the FAA here again admits that since they have not created the aeronautical knowledge and safety test that um, they can't require pilots to take and pass it. Uh, therefore, until they create it, we are in a kind of grace period um, and can fly without that. However, once the test is active, uh, you are required to pass and maintain a copy of that pass on you um, at all times when you're flying. Uh, because according to them, law enforcement or you know, uh, uh, FAA inspector may ask you for it and you need to be able to uh, show that. We don't know what the test is going to look like. Um, we've been, uh, actually Take Dead Aim has worked up quite a few questions for that test and they're really good. Uh, however, uh, according to uh, them, the key stakeholders uh, are the ones that are creating that test. And uh, while we can come to them with some of our thoughts, I imagine the people on the uh, drone advisory committee are uh, the ones kind of overseeing that. You agree with that, Dave? Yes, I do. Okay. Any questions on the aeronautical test that I didn't answer? Sounds like a driver's test to get your temps. And then you register to get your license. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it feels that way. I think, I mean, the big thing is, is that the registration is there just to, uh, if they, if something happens uh, with your drone or your, or your model, I hate calling them drones, and, but it's the easiest word to come to. If something happens with your models um, and let's say, strikes an airplane they can pick up the pieces as they would in any investigation find your your uh, registration and be able to identify who it was that flew the aircraft um the knowledge test is kind of again it's i'm not going to call it a license but it's a kind of a pass fail you know situation which they say okay you know what you need to know in order to fly safely in the national airspace and um, I think in some regards, it's good. Uh, I think that the more knowledgeable everybody is in the hobby, the better. And I don't think anybody would disagree with that. Otherwise, we wouldn't be on forums helping each other out. But on the same time, at the same time, my biggest concern is that it is going to create a barrier for entry. And my, my 
ongoing thought is that it needs to be accessible for for everybody, whether it's a 12 year old or a 60 year old, you know, and because that's the dynamics of our hobby. People are learning this stuff in elementary school. Now there's STEM programs that utilize drones and they're the perfect tool for a STEM program, but uh, it needs to be accessible and not anything that's going to chase people away. Yeah, or cost prohibitive, or, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of barriers, uh, that, the potential for a lot of barriers and having the test, um, you know, uh, easy to access, um, you know, easy to pass within reason, obviously some reasonable uh, limitations of knowledge, um, you know, are all, I think, keys that I hope the powers that be who are going to put it together are um, going to take into consideration. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Black Shepherd, to answer some of your questions online or in person, uh, the if I remember correctly, and I don't have the FAA reauthorization, uh, there was talk in there of allowing uh, CBOs or, or people designated by the FAA to administer those tests. I would imagine it, a lot of it would be done online uh, because that's just the nature of our world these days. Um, and it's not as, uh, my hope is that it's not gonna be as detailed of a test as something like the part 107. Um, I would the, say, oh, go ahead, bud. The last, um... The other, um, the other one of these uh, uh, programs that I was able to attend, there was some, uh, there was some discussion. All of this, this whole series has been on airspace, and one of the, one of the questions brought up was, um, you know, is the FAA planning on coming out with uh, airspace maps and explanations that are easier to understand than what currently exists. And their response um, was, you know, to kind of paraphrase it was, yes, we understand the way we have it currently set up. It's difficult to understand, especially for people who have not been through a ground school, that, those sorts of things. And so they're looking at having uh, an educational series or something uh, to provide that information uh, in a way that is easier to understand than the. I think you know. I think yeah. Sectional charts. Uh, for those of you who have not seen one, I'll, uh, can somebody while I'm talking throw one up there for me? Uh, just as an example, I think honestly this. Uh, for me, the this FAA UAS uh, facility map uh, is is darn near perfect in terms of being able to understand what you can and can't do. Now, the grid system, I think, is probably a little excessive. Uh, I think there, you know, we could refine that a heck of a lot. But at the same time, it makes it very simple to understand where you can and can't fly. Yeah. Um, so uh, if it's something similar to this, I think this is something that everybody can understand. Oh, thank you, Dan. Uh, if you click on that image right there, guys, that's what a FA or a, 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 a sectional map looks like. And if you can tell me what's going on there, more power to you. Yeah, yeah. especially <laughs> if you if you start looking at at 107 questions, 
on airspace uh, and, um, you know, and start at, start looking for the answers that they're wanting on there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's no way we're going to get, you know, um, uh, get young kids to be able to understand that. Yeah. Or at least it's not, you're not, you're going to kill their interest in the time it's going to take them to learn it. Yeah. If you do have your part 107, everything on there should make a lot of sense to you. Yes. Because yes. you've had to learn it. Yeah. So, uh, all right. So next, I got to catch up to where I am. Okay. Uh, the aircraft is okay. Lastly, um, so so to to kind of paraphrase where we were, until they create that test, you are not required to pass it. Therefore, you can continue to fly as you were, as long as you are abiding by the rest of these uh, eight statutory uh, uh, um, conditions. Oh, and it does uh, say that the test can be administered electronically. Yes, it specifically says online. I think yeah. Yeah, I, I pasted uh, what was in the Reauth Act up there, and it says administered electronically oh, oh, cool. by the administrator, a CBO, or a person designated. Perfect. I'd pay attention. Try out. There you go. Um, lastly, uh, the last of the uh, statutory conditions is the aircraft is registered and marked, and proof of registration is made available to the administrator or designee, the administrator or law enforcement upon request. Again. Make sure you're registering yourself as a pilot. It only costs five bucks for three years. Additionally, uh, that uh, registration number needs to be on all your aircraft that you are flying. It needs to be on the outside of the aircraft uh, where it's easily visible. It can't be in a battery compartment. It can't be underneath a component or a battery. It has to be uh, basically minimal touch in order to find it. So um, my go-to is right on the bottom of the quad. If it's a, a, bat- a top mount battery, right on the top. If it's a bottom mount, um, and, and generally there, there's no uh, there's no ruling on how that should be affixed. Uh, as long as it is, my go-to is a dyno label maker. Uh, I just print it out, chuck it on there, um, and and call it good. Uh, and that goes for my fixed wings and my quads. Uh, if anybody else has a good method that they use, feel free to share it. Yeah, I like the labels; they're easy. Yeah, I just I usually print out ten or fifteen at a time because they do tend to come off in a crash every once in a while. So. Yeah, yeah, I carry extras as well. Boy, crash, crash. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't want to call them that either. <laughs> An accidental uh, high, yeah, velocity situation. high velocity high uh, velocity descent. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Oh no no. Well, let's use the military's term for a crash. Hard landing. There you Excellent. go. Ah, perfect. <laughs> All right. So those are the eight requirements. Um, according to this, now the FAA does go on towards the end of this and and says that this is not a legal obligation. And there are a few people out there when this post comes up on Facebook that, that do point to that. However, uh, there's, there's been some conflicting opinions here, here and there. And I, I understand both sides of the coin. My interpretation of this is our goal is to, communicate and work collaboratively with the FAA in order to maintain 
our ability to uh, be in this hobby. Right. Yeah. And in order to do that, we need to show a level of respect and a level of uh, professionalism to be able to to follow these rules in order to maintain that door is open. Um, there are some others out there uh, who advocate uh, to not follow the rules and uh, a lot of them have cited uh, civil uh, civil rights and, and whatnot. And I understand that side of the coin too. And civil rights movements have, have done a lot of great things for our country, but at the same time, uh, I feel like these are not uh this is nothing new i guess civil disobedience is more of a last resort and we're not there yet hopefully (laughs) yeah i I think that's kind of the best way to put it thank you dan um so uh one last thing before we kind of wrap this up and open it up for comments uh there's one thing i do need to clarify because it's come up a lot over the last week and week and a half is if you're flying a sub 250 gram uh, model, that you are exempt from these rules, and that is absolutely false. Okay, the FAA reauthorization of 2018 does not specify a lower weight limit that is exempt from the rules. The only thing that uh, the 250 gram or 0.55 pound rule applies to is having to register um, or in case you are flying, you know, some five inch, some uh, uh, sub two fifties uh, having to mark that specific aircraft. And we anticipate once our uh, remote ID is in place, the two provisions that we saw late last year, flying over people flying at night for 107 pilots, 107 will have three categories uh, of uh, drones, we'll call them UASs. The, the category one is under 250 grams. Mm-hmm. So, so, oh, on the back arm. Oh, yeah, I do see it. Nice, Dan. Um, so I just want to clear the air about that. By flying sub 250, you are not avoiding any of these regulations, any of these statutory conditions. Um, it's it's unfortunately it, it doesn't it doesn't save you from anything so although we probably all agree it's silly agreed however you know and i i just i would hate to see somebody get tagged for for attempting um so my biggest my biggest thing here guys is that i want you all to enjoy the hobby and i want you all to uh not end up with some hefty fine uh, or a record because of it. Um, I, I want you to all be able to enjoy this hobby safely. There are a lot of things that uh, we do need to work with the FAA on. I've got a lot of good ideas, both from Zoe and from a couple of you guys. I think these are ideas that we can definitely bring to the FAA, and I think we need to reach out to them quickly to uh, kind of talk about this stuff. Um, but at the same time, I, I do recommend following these uh, statutory conditions for flight. Um, if they bother you, go get your 107 and fly by those rules. It's always an option. Um, 
and and I would applaud you for doing that. Uh, I have not done that, and I'm going to start working towards that. But uh, at the same time, uh, you know, I want this hobby to be accessible by all. So, any comments, questions, throw them out there. Good thoughts. I just well. Folks are thinking of other comments and questions. There is a drone advisory committee in Arlington, Virginia, on June 6. Um, their spectators are allowed. You have to register. Uh, I've submitted uh, a request for registration, so hopefully uh, we'll have uh, at least uh, eyes and ears in the room. And it looks like an important one. Uh, and also, uh, folks might have noticed that the CEO of Precision Hawk was. Uh, appointed the uh, head of the Drone Advisory Committee. And the AMA has a seat um, uh, on the uh, DAC, the Drone Advisory Committee. Rich Hansen is their designee. That would be an interesting room to be in. Yes. Yeah. So I know. Uh, on that same note, I know within the commercial community, uh, I'm a part of some of their Facebook groups, um, that several of them are uh, wondering about representation for the independent operators. Um, and I would go on to note that beyond, there's a lot of uh, CEOs and COOs of, of commercial entities, but only one hobbyist uh represent you know one person from the hobbyist community representing us and i think i mean in general i would i would posit that there's a heck of a lot more recreational users than there are commercial users and yeah. because everybody starts recreationally when you're well, starting this and the faa's own numbers would uh, support that of with 1.25 million um hobbyist uh, drones in the United States at the end of 2018 and 277,000 commercial. And so my question is, shouldn't the representation reflect that? Silly. I, I, I know, right? Where representation was supposed to go. But... Yeah, well, you know, that would be my first question and, and something I would posit towards the FAA at some point. <laughs> you know, it's supposed to be a democracy and all, but... It represents the amount of money the interests have. It could be that. Yes, absolutely. Which goes back to your point. <laughs> I hear you. Well, um, if you guys have any comments, toss them out right now. Let's hear them. If you have any questions, okay, let so, me answer them. Um, Go ahead, Zoe. I heard we have the potential for a new hobbyist in 2020 getting into it. They have to, If they're within five miles of an airport, if the way things stand now, they'd have to get permission from Lance, potentially have a transponder on the aircraft, and take an aeronautical test. And get, and get their FCC ham radio license. Jeebus! <laughs> Jeebus! Well, that was, that's nothing, nothing <laughs> that's new about nothing that. nothing new, yeah. I mean, it might not be anything new, but that's just an immense amount of barriers compared to just years ago. Right. right. Don't buy a friend a tiny whip for Christmas or else they've got all that stuff to go through to get there. <laughs> I'm getting I'm getting all my nieces and nephews tiny whips for Christmas. I'll keep them quiet for a couple months. Bulk order. Yeah. 
I mean, it's, it's all joking now, but I, I'm, I, it's a very uh, no. It, I I agree yeah, with no, you. And the, yeah, yeah, and the no, the FCC requirement has been in place uh, since well, we started using use FCC certified transmitters. Absolutely. DJI. Well, that's on the uh, on, and that's what DJI has done. Uh, so that's why you do not need a. Um, but our VTX our VTXs that we use on all of our racing drones require an FCC ham radio uh, license. Well, unless they're some of them come. Some are FCC compliant. Outputs are restricted. Right. Yes. That's kind of my point. Is that if you're starting out, you can get away with that. You don't have to have more than the SEC certified limit. Agreed. Absolutely agree. So, so my... now there's a bunch of new barriers coming into place, and we're all joking about it. Well, I, I don't think it's a joking. I think we are at the moment, but I think in the back of our minds, it, we, we understand that it's not a joking matter. So, um, I think, you know, first off, my question is going to be, and, and this is honestly a direct question to the FAA, who's going to notify all those new or purchasers of Walmart drones and Best Buy drones and um, Amazon drones? that are getting them for Christmas, how are they going to notify them of the requirements? Because people aren't going to know that instinctively. And that's, I think, part of the biggest problem is that people don't understand what these regulations are. And the FAA can sit out there and they can push you know, these communications, but unless you're tapped into that line of conversation, nobody's going to get them. They're gonna. Um, make, they're literally going to make criminals out of kids if they proceed forward with this. And I think that that is definitely something that needs to be discussed. Um, and and I, I say that in all seriousness. Um, Simil similarly to the way many of us get, um, you know, many of us get uh, law enforcement contact records for, you know, skateboarding and uh, and uh, um, rollerboard. Yep, yeah, and rollerblading you know, and all that yeah. nonsense. Sure. And, and and I completely agree. I mean, my biggest comparison of this hobby to something that previously exists is skateboarding, and I think a lot of people would make that 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 same uh, conclusion. Uh, but at the same time, you know, there needs to be some communication from those that the powers that be to the 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 consumer level of. Uh, 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 what those requirements are, and and more to your point, Zoe, those requirements need to be as simple and as painless as possible. Right now, registering a drone is painless. Five dollars, three years. It takes five seconds. It's not that big of a deal. But and same thing needs to be with the test. It needs to be simple. It needs to to be something that you know a ten year old could walk in and take. Right. And, without and so basically, it's going to end up with a bunch of government warning safety labels on the back of drones for people to buy. Like, you must register this with the FAA. You must make sure you pass this test. You must make sure you follow all these rules and regulations before you buy this product. And you know, again, like... A... I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead, bud. What, what, you know, I'll still draw this. It's probably a very unpopular thing and politically incorrect, but... You know, there's still less warnings and less requirements to become a parent. <laughs> yeah, 
Yes. And and I, I don't know about you, but I guess I would consider that, you know, something that requires a little bit more attention and, um, yeah, you know, perhaps yeah, uh, some more responsibility. Um, yeah, being the father, I chuckle because I'm the father of a 31-year-old. And, uh, yep, it was... Uh, <laughs> Please tell me he's not living at home in your basement. No, he's not. He's okay. uh, successful. And... Um, so our uh, in response, I, I think our uh, not I think our um, effort is to, uh, as Josh said, to work collaboratively with the FAA and to take on each of the um, aspects and and any ideas that come out of them that we can bring up and work it. And as the community gets more organized, we hope to represent a larger and larger uh, community. Uh, we did uh, respond uh, back in April to the public comment. NPRMs, yep. Thank you, thank you. The NPRMs that were, were issued, uh, you know, the, it, theoretically the FAA is required to read all of those. Um, and we'll, we have agreement to work with the FAA at headquarters level to uh, communicate and share uh, responses to the FAA. So we'll, uh, if if I cannot register for the uh, drone advisory uh, committee, if I'm not successful in that, then certainly I'll be working with uh, Tyler uh, Dobbs and uh, Rich Hansen to uh, ask. So you know, what happened? What insight do we have? What you know, what because they're talking about uh, the, the plan, and one of the pl biggest elements on the FAA's uh, docket is uh, RID because they've said in the uh, NPRMs that um, the uh, a remote ID is the prerequisite to a lot of their other work. So piece by piece is how we want to try to approach this. We want to work at, uh, collaborat collaboratively. Uh, the EAA, the Experimental Aircraft Association, is my model for something that works when you're collaborative with the uh, FAA. So that's, uh, that's what we'd like to model. And we're, I'm not being defensive. I'm just articulating the approach that we're taking. And I welcome uh, any comments and critiques? All right. Well, uh, if there's no other comments, then I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up for this meeting. Uh, I do appreciate everybody joining in. Um, and we will have our next meeting in two weeks. And we will have some more excellent discussions. I appreciate everybody for their feedback tonight. Uh, as always, it's been a pleasure. Agreed. Thank you, Josh. Nice job. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Have a great okay. night, y'all. Yep. You Take too. Care. Good night, everybody.